Hi everyone, this is the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya and this is episode number 60. Wowee. I hope everyone's keeping well out there or as well as you can be in this crazy, crazy time in all of our lives. Uh, This podcast is with the amazing musician Jed Kurtzel. Some of you might know Jed from his amazing work in the Sydney two-piece The Mess Hall, which is how I met him many years ago, back in the late 90s or early 2000s, who knows? Um, But some of you may know him from his film compositions. Jed has composed some pretty amazing scores for films such as Snowtown, Macbeth, Assassin's Creed, Alien Covenant, and The True History of the Kelly Gang, among many others. So, we do chat a bunch about the mess hall, about old times, and um, then we go pretty deep into his process of film scoring. I must also warn you, his strange show story is pretty gross. So not for everyone. But speaking of his strange show story, Jed's amazing bandmate from the mess hall, Sess Condon, illustrated the story, and it's brilliant. You can, of course, see all the illustrations for this podcast on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. I think we did okay with the swearing on this one, but there might be a few whoopsies. So be careful if listening with kids. Like and subscribe and leave me a review and write me a message if you like the podcast. Do all of the things. Uh, You don't have to, but I do love hearing from you, of course. Uh, Thank you for listening. This is episode number 60 with Jed Kurtzel. Jed, thank you so much for talking to me. I feel like we haven't talked in so long. I know. It's so nice to hear your voice. You too. <laughs> it's been, uh, it has, it's been ages. I know. And you're in the UK in lockdown now, which is crazy again. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Two times. Uh, what's your, what's your day to day looking like at the moment? Are you just being a dad or are you being a, being a worker guy as well? Um, I'm doing a bit of both. Um, I don't know. It's just funny how uh, I'm finding what lockdown does to the, does to time itself. It's a really strange, strange thing. It's like the days are really long and really short at the same time. And, and I kind of feel like I get to the end of the day and feel like I've kind of done nothing or achieved, yeah. <laughs> achieved nothing and I don't feel right. I'm not one of those people who who feels good about sort of doing nothing. Yeah, me either. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like when it started and, and um, I think I think in the first lockdown, everyone was kind of like it was, it was novel. Everyone was sort of excited about it. Over here it sort of felt like it. Um, but this this time around, it's it's very different. Yeah, it definitely felt like that here too. Like finally, I'm not on tour or not doing all the things yeah. that um, that keep me busy, and I finally have time to do all the things I want to do. And then you slowly go, oh, motivation's really fucking hard now. <laughs> and yep. you know, yeah. it's it's yeah. such a different thing than having holidays to do what you want to do. Yeah, I th- also think like just creatively, you know, I think a lot of people were saying, oh, great, like I'll now have the space to do a lot of, and, and a lot of, uh, to do a lot of writing or, or, or whatever. And a lot of people that I've spoken to have just said it was the opposite and that, that you know, you you sort of don't realise how much the outside world <laughs> plays, plays such a massive That's part. That's your inspiration. On, yeah, yeah, on whether you get excited or not, you know. It's only so much time you can spend on a screen kind of looking for things. And also just having like the, I don't know, like the mental capacity to even feel creative or to get anything done. I think when it's not on your terms, it's much harder. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's a, I I don't know. It's an, it's a really odd, I'll be interested to see what comes out. Me too. You know, what people release or what kind of, I just, I just, what is being made? <laughs> I think it's going to be a real bummer. 
I reckon there'll be lots of yeah. people feeling really sad. <laughs> but yeah, who knows? I know, and there'll be nothing. I know, and there'll be nothing worse than these kind of you know autobiographical COVID songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I have wanted to do a little bit more of in my lockdown is um, I bought this lap steel a little while ago. And oh, yeah. um, I've been trying to get a little bit better at playing that. Have you ever tried to play lap steel? Yes, I I, I got one. I sort of on and off. I, I mean, I, I sort of taught myself, but just using the um, just using the guitar and just just stick that flat. Yeah, just a slide flat across my knees. Yeah. yeah, and and kind of got it that way. But I only it was only a couple of years ago. I got a a little Hawaiian lap steel because I mean I love it I, I mean I've, I've always had I've always had a sort of um dream of of my family eventually like the four of us just forming like a little instrumental really band that's that's more like a Santo and Johnny sort of um, oh my god yeah I'd, I'd I'd love to kind of teach the fam and my whole family to you know so I've kept one on the drums and yeah just just doing the just doing the slide guitar the lap steel thing oh, and um, that's so and great and playing all those yeah yeah um, so I, I started I started teaching myself all those those, those things but um, I got sidetracked a bit but I love I love it I love picking it up it's such a great sound it's beautiful how are the how are the rest of the family is there any any uptake uh, no there is definitely I mean you know like it's there's a whole thing it's got to come with you know the rhinestone um, outfits sure and, sure <laughs> <laughs> totally so you know so it's not just it's not just about everyone learning an instrument <laughs> it's all about the outfits i've always said that there's daily yeah <laughs> it's outfits there's lighting to go with it and everything <laughs> Absolutely. else so, you know that's definitely <laughs> like a hook line and sinker for young kids yeah is there outfits is there lighting yeah well i mean when you play this when you play slide you you don't you kind of feel like it has to go with a lot of other, you know, attachments. Oh yeah. Like I mean, when when you pick it up and play it, it's kind of doesn't feel the same as just picking up a guitar and That's true. strumming some chords, does it? So. No, it's also really hard. Like it's really hard to play anything melodic that's not just like, meow, like yeah. <laughs> sad. <laughs> It sounds like a cat, a cat dying. True, that's true. I'd really want to talk to you a little bit about like how you first started. Um, like, what were you listening to as a kid, and did you ever have a moment in time where you were like, "This is what I want to do with my life"? Um, you know, it's weird. It's like I, I, I think it was one of those things where it was it was just there always, but I didn't acknowledge it until quite late later on like I mean it was just music was just something always I always um you know went for um but I didn't kind of study it or anything at school I played a little bit of piano and um do you have a piano in the house yes we we did and that's the thing is I always gravitated to it but I, I was never about like okay here's the sheet music and I better learn what it was always just sitting there and messing about and and kind of enjoying moments um it was always yeah it was always around I do I have a really I have a, a memory though of um I was around at my uncle's house and we were playing this is when I was a kid and the, was, uh, cousins were there and we we're all playing kind of hide and seek and I remember hiding under his bed and there was a electric guitar under there Ooh, wow <laughs> and it was it yeah and it was busted up and and uh, it didn't obviously it didn't work it's like missing strings and some of the all the wires were kind of hanging out of the volume pod and all this. So, yeah, and I remember pulling that out and and it was kind of like one of those moments where I was like, oh, wow, you know, what's this? And it just, it felt really good and it was like just special. And I remember this, feeling the same thing with the first, you know, kind of crappy electric guitar that I got. That's awesome. You know, even just the, if, you know, I couldn't really play it. So I just sort of used to sit there and, turn the amps up and just listen to the noise. <laughs> and not much has changed since then. Yes, no, it hasn't much. <laughs> what, um, what were you listening to as a kid? Like, what did, was there anything that you were listening to that you were like, oh, that guitar's cool, maybe I want to make noises like that? Or Like, I remember the, the Velvet Underground hearing them for the first time and it being quite a kind of like a, a, a knock around the head, yeah. you know. That's, uh, 
what's that? And it, and it sounded like nothing else that, you know, that I'd, I'd heard, which was sort of limited at that point. But, you know, because, I mean, when you're growing up, it's sort of like your older siblings start discovering music and you sort of discover it through them or it's your parents' records or, or something like that. Um, and so you kind of know that moment when you start making the decisions about what you're listening to and what you start to get curious about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was that kind of thing. But I was just sort of, I was just, I don't know, my ears sort of gravitated to everything. So it could have been like anything from, from country music to classical music to any, anything was all sort of there. And, and I still sort of have that as well where, where it just from day to day it changes. It's a broad spectrum of stuff. But, you know, um, it's funny, like even now, even now, like who was around? Burke was around here the other day because he's living in Aww. Burke Reed. Love Bird. And, uh, yeah, and we were, uh, we were listening to music and Nirvana came up and we were, at, we were sort of at the end of the night after a couple of bottles of wine sort of went, well, what did we get out of tonight? And he kind of went, <laughs> that Nirvana is still great. <laughs> 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 As they came, someone, someone put them on and we were like, God, those songs are still good, like, you know. I actually had a similar thing with Nirvana just the other day because I was having a chat to a friend about how we're both obsessed with songs where the singer has a little giggle in the middle of a take and how oh, yeah. we're both so drawn to it and we'd never talked about it. Um, and she was saying that she is obsessed with There's One in Milk It um, off In Utero. I'd forgotten about it, but I remember I was actually so obsessed with that little giggle as a kid that I used yeah. to rewind it and listen to it. But yeah, I was so I listened wow. to Milk It and then I listened to the whole of In Utero and I was like, man, this is such a good record still. It is, yeah. But that's that's a uh, that's an interesting little um side note though, giggles on records. Can you think of any? Yeah, there's one that well I, I know my kids there's one on Dylan's one of this is Highway 61 yeah, I think there's a that's a good one isn't there one on there where there's like a false start that yep. they have I remember my I think even my kids got really um <laughs> that was in our car for a while and and they used to make me rewind it and just for that for that bit <laughs> it's so great I feel like it's so yeah. relatable little like a little human sound in something yeah. that can quite often be so polished or robotic or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, well, back to, to Little Jed. Um, yes. So you, you were taking in all the different kinds of music. You are playing a little bit of piano. Yeah, I was listening to... My dad was playing Creedence Clearwater and, you know, like all that kind of stuff and Chris Christopherson and, you know, so there was all that side as well. And then, you know, suddenly there were things like Sonic Youth were sort of appearing and, yeah, so... It was just everything. And then when did you decide to start playing music? Like when did you start a band? I didn't pick up the guitar until I think I was about 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had picked it up previously to that, like I think maybe when I was about 12 and I'm kind of ambidextrous and I... I have a, f- I don't know, my kids have got this as well where it's like I pick something up and I don't, I have to kind of make a decision about which hand to use. Wow. So, like, I still have that, yeah, and I still have that with scissors. Wow. And <laughs> That's so cool. And it's, yeah, and it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Um, so I remember picking the guitar up maybe when I was about 11 or 12, and that happened with the guitar where I, I was like, I kept swapping, like, from either side, and it just, oh, it, it felt nothing but wrong and I just put it mm. down and I remember thinking, well, this is something I'll never play because it just, I don't even know how to start because my hands aren't naturally wanting to do it this way or that way. Um, so I kind of had made a, a bit of a, I guess, you know, decision at that point when I was younger that obviously, you know, this instrument's going to be too difficult. Um, and then I picked it up again just because I... I wanted to, I, I, I think, because I, I it, it was um, there. And we had like a little nylon string guitar around the house. And there was a book around that had some chords in it. So I just started learning some chords and, and then it went from there. And then I was sort of, 
I wasn't so much obsessed with playing other people's songs either. It was just, it was more about getting a few chords down and then start, I started kind of writing my That's own. That's cool. Do you remember what, what your first song was? I can't remember, but I think it was pretty shit. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, pro- and probably really morbid. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I made, I might have, like, I probably wrote about six or seven songs and it was sort of all about getting enough to, to put, put it on tape. Yes. And make a kind of, and make an album. And I have no idea where that tape is. It's probably a good, a good thing, but um, I... I, I'm sure I kind of put together like a a, a collection, that debut album. Uh, it would be so cute to listen to that now. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. <laughs> I'd love to, it to hear kids. it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just alone in that bedroom, the weight of the, weight of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, but so you grew up in South Australia, right? And then at yeah, some point yeah. moved to Sydney. How, how old were you when you moved yeah. to Sydney? Uh, I was about 18, I think. I just kept playing and playing and really enjoyed playing guitar and just, just discovering a whole lot of different music. And, um, yeah, and then I kind of, yeah, and then basically from then on I wanted to start a, start a band and start something up, but I kind of didn't know anyone mm. outside of my brother. And he just sort of went, oh, well, I know this guy, which was AJ, who was the, the first drummer in the mess hall, and... He plays drums and he said, uh, maybe I'll, I'll play bass. This is my brother saying this. So um, I said, well, you don't have one and, <laughs> and you've never played it. And so he and I went down to Cash Converters and um, got a bass. Great. And uh, yeah, and then we just started, we started sort of playing. And um, again, it was sort of pretty awful, but um, <laughs> Where was your yeah, first but, gig? Did you have a first gig in Sydney somewhere? Uh, I do. I remember it was um, the Green Square Hotel in Zetland. Zetland. Where's Zetland? Uh, Zetland's out near, um, just past Alexandria. Oh, yep. I think. So that's still like kind yeah. of central to Sydney. Yeah. 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 And that was still the three of us at that point. And... And so Justin kind of lost interest, I think. I do remember, I mean, he, he, I remember we had one gig where he broke a string on the bass and then he just never, um, he, ne- he never replaced it because he never used the string. <laughs> <laughs> bass strings are really expensive. <laughs> they are expensive and I was kind of just amazed that he'd broken one. <laughs> he'd broken the one that he never used as well. <laughs> Which one was it? I, I think it was the. I think it was the. I think it was the higher one. I'm pretty yeah. sure he wasn't. He wasn't going up there at all. Yeah, he didn't have the courage to venture, venture that far. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. Um, I, was, I was watching that Joy, Joy Division doco the other day. And it was funny how Peter Hook was saying why he played so high, and he just said that it was. He said that he couldn't. He couldn't hear himself over the band when he played low. So he just played high and in rehearsals and, and that's how he could. Oh, yeah. I, I, I kind of, I like those stories yeah, where. Yeah, I love that. You know, where something that always has, a, feels really artful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like a decision. Yeah, totally. High and lots of like chorus. Isn't that the Peter Hook sound? Yeah, I, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was it. He kind of, it was nothing to do with like, there was no sort of uh, artistic. Uh, <laughs> Concepts behind totally. it. It was just like just I can't hear myself. Yeah. Chuck some chorus on, yeah. play high, get some more <laughs> treble happening. <laughs> so Justin played. He was playing with three strings. Yeah, and then I think he just um, he just lost interest. So he left. So it was like just left to AJ and I. So we became like a two piece, um, just by default. And and uh, that's pretty much it. We would just go out to Troy Horse and 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 rehearse. I didn't think we, we didn't think we would sort of really play. It was just, it was just for fun because we just enjoy playing. And then um, we sort of hit upon something and, but that was around the time too when there were no two pieces, like that whole thing hadn't started. So, so we were playing like at a bat and ball. I remember playing a gig and we would just get told to, to, to stop. Really? <laughs> yeah. Cause I think because you would sort of, every, they, they would see that it was a two piece on paper and most people were sort of expecting Simon and Garfunkel or something like that. And, and then 
<laughs> you were like, we would check plug this in. Out. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> and we would plug in, and then um, that 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 stopped us because you know in those days as well, the live music scene was it was pretty dire. Like mm. no one went to gigs. I mean, even just to go to your local and see and go, oh, something's on. It was before it all kind of picked up again yeah, in, the right. ni- in the early 2000s or late 90s. Yeah. Um, so we would go in and play in these places and if you didn't have your friends there, it was just a bunch of drunks and <laughs> um, telling you to shut up. I feel like know. that so much of, of the 90s for me is just playing to a lot of drunk people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I actually kind of, I, I, I look back fondly on that, that period because mm. it, there was something completely surreal about it. It was like these pubs would go, we're going to have live music, but then you would go and play and it was just not the kind of clientele that really you should be playing <laughs> <Yeah>. to. <laughs> but you would still go through with it. Everyone sort of still went through with it. It yeah, was kind of like, it. it was something... Yeah, so something excruciating about the whole thing and awkward, but <laughs> but it still happened. <laughs> well, I remember like my first memories of seeing the mess hall, and I suppose I didn't see you guys play until it was you and Seth. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what year that was. That was. I mean, it, yeah, I can't remember that. It was very early though. Like it all changed pretty quickly. Yeah, so, um, but I definitely remember thinking this is pretty extraordinary that you were a two piece and you had such a big sound you know like a, you almost you definitely didn't miss the the bass player because you were playing all the like low octaves and because you had like octave yeah. pedals and stuff didn't you as well um i didn't have octave pedals no i just had it was all kind of tuned down tuned and down, there was a right. so it's basically the kind of like the keith richards tuning except i left the i left the lower string on which when right. he would take it off oh, so okay. that's so that kind of just droned away underneath everything. Yeah. So everything was either in one or two chords. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I re- but I yeah. remember thinking like it sounds, it, it had a massive sound and it was really impressive and quite extraordinary to see two people make that amount of noise. It was noise. pretty great. Yeah. I think two, I think two sess was always, you know, pretty dynamic and there was a lot luck going on too when he played i mean i'm in the early days i mean i remember the first time i saw him and mm. kind of rang him up and said i wanted to just try out playing together because i think he was i'm not sure who he was playing with but i remember walking into the annandale and it was like what the hell is that <laughs> yeah who is that <laughs> like, man like yeah yeah it's like this kind of stick insect you know with this afro just it was just arms flailing everywhere yeah. <laughs> you know it was it was Incredible. great and it was yeah, it was great yeah and i i always loved loved those kind of moments when you walk you know when you see bands that you've you don't you don't know about or or you've never met the people in there or seen them before and 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 it sort of happens occasionally where just someone stands out on stage and it's like whoa who's you know who's that and they just sort of yeah that's something kind of magic magical there so totally he um, is very magical yeah <laughs> i had a i remember yeah. actually i played a show at the annandale um i don't even know when it was but i was playing solo and just before the gig i was like do you want to just come and play some drums <laughs> on, the, on the song and he was like yeah yeah and he just started playing i was like i think it's you know i like i maybe tapped out the tempo for like two seconds and um he just started playing and i was like fuck it's just like it's so it's so am- amazing playing with someone that you automatically have that like um yeah like you you have like an unspoken language and I think he's, oh, yeah. he's, I've noticed, I mean, I only played with him for like two songs, but I noticed that straight away. Like he's really um, intuitive. He is. And that's his kind of um, gift as well. I think is that he's, he's, he's very intuitive and you kind of get what you get at that moment. And it's, if you don't get this, you don't get the same thing twice. And um, that's, that was sort of perfect for us. Cause it was, there wasn't so much that structure or, or anything like that. So yeah, so it was kind of always always great to kind of hear different things. Or yeah, um, and he's yeah. And, I mean, also too. Uh, uh, there was a point where he he had this amazing. He found this incredible drum teacher. This he was an old American jazz guy. What's his name? Jack. And and Seth started getting lessons from from this guy. And 
this was like halfway through when we were playing and his drumming just like changed again. Like wow. he just, he, he, yeah, had this whole other thing to it that, um, that was, um, pretty amazing. And it was kind of like these two minds got together and then they were so different. I think him and this teacher, but they, it's, it changed him and made him even, you know, more interesting drummer. But. That's awesome. I, um, I just remembered another time I got to play with Seth. Do you remember Valley Fiesta? I've no idea. I've like no concept of time or space, but I remember <laughs> when Seth called me up the day before and asked me if I'd play that song, the the bell song with you guys. Oh yeah, yeah, you played with us. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I remember that. That was such a thrill. Like, as I fucking love, <laughs> I love that song, and I got to play with both of you. The, I think the the time before that that I'd seen you guys play, you had. Um, Burke Reed playing with you. He was playing organ. Yeah, we did. And it was great. And I remember being envious. I was like, oh man, it'd be so fun to play keyboards in the mess hall. And yeah. then I got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I remember that. That was great fun. Yeah, because yeah. we, we, we'd kind of, um, we'd written ourselves into a corner, I think, on that album. So it was, it was like, oh no, we do need, we need, an, we need some extra things yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to work these songs out live. So yeah. Yeah. That was really fun. I'm so happy I got yeah, to that play was that fun. song with you guys. I remember. I do remember that now. Yeah. Did that take place in the va- in in the mall there? In yeah, it was Valley. in the Valley Mall. Yeah. yeah. And right. it was funny because okay. I think I played the song just to like iTunes. Like Sess came over and he was like, "This is the song," and and then right. I played it maybe once or twice, and then the third time I played it was with you guys in front of heaps of people. Right. <laughs> and was it? <laughs> and did we play it completely differently or something like that? Or I can't it? recall, but I, I do remember thinking, oh, but if I fuck it up, it's fine. It's not one of those bands <laughs> where you're going to frown at me if I, if I don't get no. it right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was, always, it was always with us. It was kind of like as, as long as one thing is playing at any one time, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let's talk a little bit about, so when you were, you know, playing in the mess hall, you're doing a lot of touring and stuff. And then when you'd come home, you'd record instrumental things at home. Can you tell yeah. me a little bit more about what you were doing and what, what purpose you were serving by recording little things at home? Um, no purpose at all. <laughs> <laughs> Great. No, it was just, it was like, I mean, and I think about being in lockdown now and I kind of think, oh God, back then it just would have been like, a joy. Yeah, I just, I, I just loved sitting down and, and making just different sounds In and Pro Tools. Um, music. And no, I had like a little uh, Akai. I think it was ten tracks. Oh, cool! And I just do it. Yeah, and I just did it on there. And then, then I moved on to the, the Pro Tools. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I just sort of made these kind of. They were almost like they were, there was way more atmospheric and. Um, and yeah, had, there was no reason for doing it. It was it was more like, and they sort of had kind of weird narratives to them as well. So I kind of, you know, would would make shifts and things like that. That they kind of there was a bit more of a kind of journey going on. But it was never for anything else. But just that I really enjoyed doing it um, outside of what of what I was doing with Seth. And when you say narratives, like, did you actually think about storylines, or did you just kind of go, I think maybe it needs a shift here to something. Um, it, it was kind of like sort of landscapes. It was sort of like imagining, you know, just shifts in, you know, I, I guess the same thing as like a film where there's just a shift in, in the tone of something or, um, but yeah, I could, I could, I, I, I'd sort of imagine landscapes and things like that kind of imagine what kind of music would go to it so it was all very much yeah it was all very much in my head I love hearing like how you obviously had this seed in your mind that you wanted to create landscapes and then you ended up doing it on a massive scale (laughs) as a job beautiful I love that yeah well I mean that's I think what happened is that it, it it eventually kind of came that but but what's interesting is that is that the thing that I gravitate towards the most and when when I'm doing something, I'm doing a film. Is 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 what does it look like? Yeah, right. And 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 what does that? What does it sound like? What is it? If it looks like that, then it's got to sound like this. So um, mm. yeah, I don't really gravitate so much towards the um, 
the narrative, like the storyline. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, the script, the script, you know, that kind of comes a bit later. But, yeah, it was so it's a strange sort of thing of developing that kind of thing. Do you hear the music in your head before you make it or are you sort of experimenting and making stuff? Uh, I, I sometimes hear, hear it beforehand, but very rarely does that end up being it. I think it's more like that's just a kind of jumping off point to sort of get me to start um, so that it's not just a blank a blank page and kind of like, right, here we go, we're going to start making music, you know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, it's, more like, <laughs> it's more like, okay, like I've got this kind of idea in my head, but um, it's more, I think, sitting down and um, tricking yourself into starting somehow. I think that's, that's sort of what it is. And then um, once that happens, it's more to me about finding... Making, I think, making mistakes, making really big mistakes and those mistakes being the kind of seed for, for everything else. Right. So that's kind of the opposite of knowing what it's going to sound like in your head before you start. Absolutely. That's awesome. I feel like you have probably told the story about how you started making soundtrack stuff a million times with your brother, but I guess... I'm really interested in when did you first start identifying as someone that could do that? You know, like, cause I, I remember a time when I heard that you'd done the Snowtown soundtrack and I remember think like, I think everyone in the music community, like in our friendship group across Australia was like, Oh wow. Like Jed's doing this That's amazing <laughs> thing. No, not at all. It was like, <laughs> it was really exciting. We were all like, Oh wow. He can do that. And, did, did it take ages to convince yourself that you could do it? Um, I remember feeling pretty nervous about it. And, and I think there was a, uh, uh, I, he and I sort of had an agreement, I think. I don't even know if we spoke about it, but it was definitely there that, you know, like if I was halfway through and it just, look, if this isn't working, then, then get someone else to do it kind mm. of thing. Um, so it was more like kind of I'll have a go. But I, I, I didn't do it thinking that um, it was going to be some sort of something that I'd be doing again. Mm. You know, it was more like I'll just do this and then that'll be it. And, um, you know, I mean, also too, like, oh, no one will see the film. And um, I think, again, it was kind of like I just sort of started. And the, the lucky thing I had too is that when he and I are pretty close. So, um, and we share a pretty similar aesthetic. So you're not kind of making anything and wondering, oh, God, is this, you know, am I just going to get laughed out of the room or is this? um, So I was able to send him really rough, you know, things that weren't finished or had lots of mistakes in them. And I knew that he would understand it as a whole rather than as a finished thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was just more about doing something kind of, interesting that was that was it and hoping that I could kind of come up with something that was just not what the standard thing was at that point I remember it being yeah it was really impressive and the sound of that the soundtrack is it really makes the film like I mean the film is terrifying but the (laughs) the soundtrack is like part of the narrative so much it became such a sort of important element in the whole kind of um in the way that film was put together, because I remember we were, I think he only had two weeks left in the edit and we had most of the music there, but he was struggling with how to open the film and a couple of bits in the edit and that just weren't working. That piece that that starts the film, that kind of throbbing, pulsing sort of thing, uh, we ended up, yeah, we ended up finding all this footage and, and kind of going, well, why don't we change this and work out this? And it all, I mean, the whole beginning developed the beginning of that film was developed around that that piece of music so so it, it sort of it's its own character kind of yeah totally totally so it sort of dictated what where, where we went with it in the end which was um which was really special and, and that you know that doesn't really happen in a lot of a lot of things you and then on. so what happened after snowtown then were you suddenly like oh this is what i'm doing now I, again i thought well that's done and, and that was that was a really fun it was fun and, and it was really challenging also. And, um, yeah, and then, and then it kind of came out and I, sort of people started asking me to do other stuff and, and I just sort of kept going with it, thinking at some point, you know, 
it would stop and um and it didn't and, and it's weird it was that i mean i still get offered work over that that that's it was snowtail was such a is still such a massive part of of a lot of stuff i've done i mean of people directors references or what they kind of like they or they've put the, that music in their films as temp music or whatever so yeah it, it's it became a bit of a thing yeah and it just sort of jumped from one thing to the next to the next to the next and yeah and i suddenly realized that this is kind of what i was doing well before snowtown we were we'd been touring a lot yeah too so i was sort of i was kind of enjoying being at home and in the one place so i didn't have any kind of real urge to go out and play again so and then did you study music after that like how do you go about scoring you know like string sections which you have quite a lot of as well no i didn't study it i just i kind of i sort of taught taught myself it in some ways in my own kind of way and um I was sort of fortunate enough over here to get introduced to the London Contemporary Orchestra and, and those guys have been doing really kind of interesting stuff over here with like Johnny Greenwood and yeah, yeah. who else? There was a, yeah, a bunch of different... They were just sort of coming up as well, like a really young, kind of hungry, interesting bunch of musicians and orchestra. So, yeah, I got introduced to them when I was doing Slow West and I don't know, and then I just approached the string stuff, like Macbeth particularly in the way that I approached anything with music, it was kind of a bit of trial and error, really. And then, Could you, know, you read music before? Uh, a bit, a bit. I mean, I still, I, I can, I read, I'm not fast at reading it, but uh, I can at least look at it and go, oh, that's happening there and there and there, so. Um, it's so cool that you can, like, create all these incredible scores without being, like, a fuck-off music guy. <laughs> A classically trained <laughs> musician is what I meant to say. Yeah. I mean, I, I think as well, too, that, I, like, I, beginning a score, just just starting something up, I'm, I definitely come at it from a, a, I mean, a different angle, whereas others who are classically trained will literally sit down and go immediately, right, what, what are the strings doing? Mm. Um, and, and they'll start at it from that point, whereas I, I don't. I'll kind of start with, like sounds and and loops and things like that to 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 get it all going and and a lot of that other stuff will come later if it needs it i was doing this talk about blade runner recently because i'm so obsessed with evangelist soundtrack um because it's all cs80 you know which is this incredible magical synth it's incredible um the talk was sort of about how that soundtrack compared to the 2049 soundtrack that um hans zimmer and ben walfish did and yeah. so I watched heaps of videos about the composition and how Hans Zimmer just sort of walked in and played like a motif <laughs> that went for, you know, 10 seconds and then they built the whole score. Then he went on tour and Ben Wolfish just sort of created the whole score around those 10 chords or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And I, was, I think that's the first time I've ever really researched a lot about a soundtrack of a film and how things get made and it was so mind-blowing how you know something so massive can come out of just like 10 chords or 10 seconds of you know composition yeah they were quite a massive process those films but but at their heart they really are just it's kind of like what i was saying before is that i mean they're all still approached in the same way that you you would approach a song or or, or, or just being in a band and going, well, the bass is going to do this and the, the, the midsection is going to do this and um, and then there'll be, a you know, at some sort of melody that kicks, at least kicks something off or, or gets, it, gets it going or that you can hang things off of. So um, yeah. if you can kind of look at it like that, it's not so daunting. Do you often create themes for certain characters? Not really. That might kind of happen as it goes on in a sort of more organic way. But again, I, I kind of like the, the, the starting off point is, is sort of just the look of it and the feel of it. And, and I guess the characters are involved in all of that, but just sort of like, just if I, if I get an idea firstly of like, what, what does this, what's the sound of this space first? And then, and then it all kind of comes from there. Um, yeah, I, I guess because I, for me, it's like, it's the image. I mean, film is, that's what that's what separates it from everything is it's a moving wonderful image and you've got these incredibly creative people capturing 
you know, these amazing cinematographers or whatever, cap- capturing these incredible images. So for me, that's sort of firstly what it is. Do you ever spend any time on set or is it always sort of like you get the image as per, you know, render or whatever? No, I haven't. I've never really done that. Only Actually, Snowtown was the only one that I ever went on onto the set just because I was down there when they were shooting in yeah. South Australia. I was there visiting family. So, um, but I wouldn't have even called that film a set because it was kind of just, it was sort of chaos. Like I, I remember driving in and it was just, there were kids running around everywhere. <laughs> I think Ju- Justin was sort of directing, but he was being karate kicked by a bunch of kids while that was going on. <laughs> you know? Someone was doing a, a burnout down the street. It was all that, that was sort of the whole community was so much involved in that. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but no, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I haven't been on set since. I kind of think what it's what it looks like once they've filmed it is obviously kind of what it's going to be. Yeah, is going to be, and that's sort of what I should be relating to. But what about? Do you find that um, the budget of a film changes your approach, or is it always sort of? the same experiments and the same the mistakes are, are dictating the the finished product yeah definitely i mean it's it's always the same approach into it but there is a point when you kind of go well <laughs> if i start if i start adding all of this then i'm going to be in in strife because i won't be able to afford it you know to do it um or i'll have to find some other way to do it um so at some point you start thinking about yeah what you can and and can't get away with but yeah i mean the approach is definitely always like look starting and hoping that you make some really big mistakes that sound amazing and then you can hang hang everything on those totally have you ever had any times when you've been like i don't know if i'm gonna be able to get this that's every time yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, that's that is every time. It's 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 excruciating. Oh, I find no. that excruciating. Um, well, because it's it's a strange thing because m- music is a weird thing. It's like if you've given a time frame to make it, it it just it never leaves you. Like there's no way to turn off because what's looming is 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 this is something that you've got to that doesn't exist. Mm. And you've got to make it exist somehow. Um, so it's kind of not like kind of rolling in and, and thinking, well, I've got these five things to do today. And once I've ticked all them off, it's finished. It's like going in there and spending eight hours and getting nothing, like, like yeah. nothing you did was good um, and sort of dragging that home with you. Or walking in and getting like five, you know, two, two to five minutes of like just, holy shit, I just come up with like, three really great ideas yeah you know it's like well i can you know go home happy kind of thing so that's it and as time starts to to dwindle and you're kind of getting closer and closer to really having to have something and it's like it's just not happening that's you know yeah it's kind of terrifying (laughs) yeah it is how do you deal with that stress do you always have the belief Uh, or do you sometimes go oh the wind is completely out of my sails and I, I'm panicking here. Yeah, I have moments where it gets to that, where it's where I'm sort of like, is it going to happen? And it all, but then I kind of think, well, it, all, it always does. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't had a point where that hasn't, where I've been completely like, you know, I'm, there's nothing coming. It's like it's, it's empty. But um, yeah, there have been there have been some that have come down to the wire, and, and even in the fact that they've come down to the wire, it's, it's been really great. It's like I've ended up ended up having to kind of instinctively come up with other ideas, and haven't had time to 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 think about it, which is I think a really good place to be. Because the more time you have on anything, the more thinking that you do, the more you'll think yourself out of something really great. Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, what are your thoughts about? You mentioned before that um, directors were using your music for Snowtown as temp music. What are your thoughts if someone else uses temp music in their cuts and then you have to think of something similar? I always think that's like the worst. <laughs> that would be the worst part. It is. It is because it's like you have to rip yourself off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you also know how to, you know, kind of, you know how the thing was made and what went into the pot, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, 
but you don't want to repeat yourself as well. And it's all, yeah, it's also kind of difficult not sounding like you as well, but sounding like you. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it's a pretty strange corner to be, um, Pudding. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't John Fogarty get sued for sounding too much like a Credence song or something? I think I read that one. Did he? Yeah, I think he really he wrote a song and then he got sued that it sounded too much like an existing Credence song. So that's so, so. Oh well, that's that's strange. So the so the publishing or something would have been like yeah, either that or previous band members. I can't remember exactly. And didn't they, they, Neil Young's record company try and sue him for sounding not enough like him? <laughs> These are all very silly problems. What about temp music of other people's? Do you sometimes go, oh, now I have to, like the director is expecting something like that? I mean, it's such a case of, it's like, remember, you know, making demos for songs and, you know, you've sat with it for two months or whatever or three months and then you try and go in and re-record the song and it sounds awful. Yeah. Like, oh, the demo is so much better. That's sort of what happens with temp music is that, they're sitting there ed- editing with it and it's they get used to this one thing and can't hear anything else. So you sort of, again, kind of put into a corner. But um, I haven't had too much of that. I've, I've, it's been the other thing is that they've ended up putting music from other, of, of, of my own scores under things. And then, yeah, and then it's been that, which I, d- I don't know which is worse. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or haven't. Yeah. <laughs> The only, it's, it's sort of a, there's a few times when it doesn't happen like on Justin's films he never uses temp music so I think that's why those scores end up sort of being very much their own thing and I, I, I kind of I, I prefer those ones over most of the things I've done and, and also Jen and the Babadook she she doesn't use them either so um, so you kind of just get to sort of run wild from the start and dictate the sound of the film um but the bigger ones tend to kind of have to have it on there. Yeah, of course. From the start, because they yeah, they get they get handed around so much. And yeah, be weird without music. Yeah. Yeah, those. Yeah. Um, you're in lockdown now, um, for a while. I don't. How do you know how long this lockdown is? It's supposed to go to December the second. Okay. And then, but but I, I've I'm pretty sure it'll it'll continue on. I read something ridiculous the other day that. Um, they were saying for Christmas that <laughs> that, that may, maybe we should change the way we do Christmas over here this year, and then oh, it's. No. Uh, <laughs> but, but what? I mean, I don't care. It's, it's fine. I, I I can. It'll just be us anyway. What but, were they uh, suggesting? They were suggesting that you plant a Christmas tree oh, in the backyard geez. and. <laughs> in freezing weather and to put your presents under there and uh. open them out, out in the freezing cold. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. That's going to be so I, nice. I know, <laughs> I know. It's going to be really I, special. No one. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I can imagine, yeah. I'm sure it'll just be pissing down with rain and, yeah. and uh yeah. Lovely. <laughs> what um do yeah. you do you have projects coming up that you can sort of prep for a little bit uh, during this time? Uh yeah, I do. I do. I was kind of hoping to have a, a bit of a break and do something else for a while, but um things that I was on all got it all got pushed back and sort of bundled in together. So Oh wow. Um, yeah. Lots of things yeah, coming so, up. Yeah, it's a bit bit over the top, but that's okay. I hope okay. that you don't have the, the it's not coming panic for those projects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hope that too. I don't, I just, um, well, yeah. I want to ask you my very last question, which is the question that I ask everybody. Um, what is your mm-hmm. strangest show experience or the strangest thing that's happened to you because you're a musician? Well, um, the, I mean, like the one thing was just, a, it was just a continue to happen with Sess and I. We went through a period, and I'm sure if we played again, probably would because we wouldn't be match fit. But um, <laughs> where, where, where he was throwing up on stage, and I was, <laughs> and his throwing up was would give me panic attacks. Oh no! So we had this really weird kind of um, glitch. That's a <laughs> that, bad one. That, 
that went on that went on for a while um and how did your panic attacks manifest i think just lack of sleep lack of really kind of caring for yourself at all and um, what happened to you well what was going on was that you have one on stage and that's just freaks you out and um and it's pretty it's yeah it's a pretty uncomfortable feeling and then what happens after that is then you start having kind of a panic attacks about having them yeah. and mine was that mine were always like involved i'd be well i'd just be singing and i would just start immediately start feeling like throwing up yeah. and so the whole thing would be like like where am i going to be able to do this yeah. oh, <laughs> so instead so of kind of enjoying playing it was kind looking, of like looking around for receptacles yeah, and we used to, well, we used to we got to the point where we call them the bucket shows, and, and they'd be like a. Bu- <laughs> so so Gareth, our um our our kind of who would go on tour with us and did our sound and stuff, he would always say just before we went on, "Is this going to be a bucket show, guys?" So you know he knew whether to put the bucket. <laughs> would he put it between you? Well, Seska, no, it was. <laughs> no, I think Sess had it on his. <laughs> <laughs> on his side but he never used it he just used to throw up all over himself oh. so it was kind of like because we had the, the problem with us was that being only two of us if one of us stopped it was really obvious that something had stopped yeah. like um and so it was kind of like with us it was a bit of a no-no like it was just like we'll just plow through and keep through it and then we used to do this thing as well where we would just kind of play we would just kind of have have moments where we'd play like five or six songs, just one after the other, yeah. with no break, or we'd cut in between one song and just move into another. Or, and so if we started to get into that, then yeah, that 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 started to become. If, if you wanted, if you had to do anything else, you were or stop. It was a problem. So. Um, oh dear. Yeah, so I do remember, I, I, do, I do remember, yeah, I remember one show we had at the Prince of Wales and this one wasn't so much about um, kind of panic attacks or anything like that. That was just, it was, it was before the show we had bumped into Dan Brody, I think, in Melbourne and he told us about this burger place that was really good and that the, the, the burgers were incredible. And so we went there stupidly, about way too, way too close to the show. Oh, just no. <laughs> Which, you know, another no-no is like, don't yeah. eat. <laughs> don't eat. Two hours yeah, before. Don't eat. Yeah. Exactly. And this was way too, and, and I remember finishing, the two of us were looking at each other and going, I think that's just way, that was way <laughs> too close. And I'm feeling, I'm feeling too full and I don't feel like it's digesting. <laughs> You're like, get the bucket. So there was just, there was just, yeah, it was definitely a bucket show. So there's just an, (laughs) there was just an atmosphere and the two of us were really quiet beforehand. I could tell that it was like, there was like, I don't know how this is going to work. And we went on and and then I remember what would happen is that, because he would play to the side, we played side by side, but he was just like slightly back. And I I was playing and singing and I was like, this song is sounding the same, but it's, it's, he's doing something really different with the drums. (laughs) It's it's like something's kind of missing, but it's still like the beat's there, but it's still kind of something's missing. And I turned over and it was like, it was like he was on a rodeo (laughs) horse. Like, because when he drummed, he was kind of bounced up and down and stuff and his arms were everywhere. But it was like like that. Although one of those cartoons where like a wagon's kind of going down a, down a hill and the wheels were all falling off or whatever and you know that that's kind of what it looked like but while that was happening he was just throwing up all over his like his whole body was convulsing while he was it playing. was convulsing but he was he was still in time the beat. it was it was it, it was it was unbelievable and wow. you know Cess too he had like a really impeccable sort of suit on oh. as well so it was like a the whole thing was a was like a mishmash of <laughs> and, um, and I saw it and it immediately kind of, I mean, it, you know, it just made me feel ill oh, in, no. straight away. And I kind of went, oh, God, I've got to, I've got to throw up as well. So, <laughs> so um, I, instead of staying on stage, I ran off. In panic. 
I thought, oh, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, t- uh, yeah, I'll, well, he's already, I'll do, I'll do mine backstage. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember standing in the, in the dressing, sitting in the dressing room kind of over a bathtub. Oh. And I, it was kind of like I was in a kind of completely other world. And it was like I sort of came to, it was like the world just kind of went, and, um, and all I could hear was like, nothing out there but like the crowd kind of going off and I could hear Sess on the microphone just berating everyone. <laughs> Do you remember what he was saying? Well, I think they, I think the crowd were like, they just, you know, they had given no quarter. So they were just, um, they kind of wanted him to play or they were like, you know, what's this all about kind yeah. of thing. And he was, he was sort of yelling back at them about like explaining probably why, why we were going through a moment of silence and, uh, <laughs> And I eventually came back on came back on stage and we finished we finished the set. Wow, you and kept Cess, playing. I think we kept playing and then Sess sold his he took the snare off of his drum and it was like all the in all the crevices. I remember it was just it was that was like sick. Yuck. And um, he ended up getting fifty bucks for it. Great, <laughs> that's a great ending to that story. <laughs> I love the drunk person the next day would have just been like, oh, man, I got something yeah, that yeah, smells no, like vomit in my house. I, I, think, <laughs> I think they were pretty happy with it. Oh, I think good. They were pretty happy. But, but this, yeah, that was a period that we, that we went through where it was, um, it was always kind of touch and go whether it was going to be a bucket show or not. Oh, that's so gross. <laughs> Did you catch yeah. any of the audience's faces while Seth was, was vomiting? Well, that, that was the other thing that made me turn around and look at him as well. It was like the, the rhythm's off a bit, but it's on, and, but he's sort of missing the hi-hat here. And, you know, so. <laughs> it was that, but also the looks on people's faces, particularly in the first eight rows, I reckon it were, were, were just like the guys, the guys sort of had looks of like, that's impressive. And the, but, but the girls were just like, Ugh, this is <laughs> kind of a look of like, is this really happening? Am I, watching, <laughs> am I watching it? I love that because the two of you are also like kind of, I remember back in the day that a lot of my friends were yeah. like, oh, Sess and Jed, so handsome. I would have loved that like all of the, the girls in the front, they would have been like, he's so, ooh. <laughs> There was, there was not, there was none of that. There was none of that at all, at all. <laughs> well, I think what was probably even more, um, for, for poor Cess, I know after that show, it was, uh, what would have been even, even, even better to look at was him kind of having to clean it all up yeah. too. Cause I remember, the, I remember Gareth coming backstage and going, I'm not, I'm yeah, not doing that. No. Sort your own shit out. Um, oh wow, yeah, that's so. that's such a good story. I'm sort of I'm both grateful and sad that I didn't see a bucket show. Actually, the last the last show we played, he he did, I think he did it again. Aww. He did it after the show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was a lot of that too. Like, Seth had quite a I don't know. It was a pretty taxing job sitting there playing constantly because he wasn't in the back too. He he was sort of front and center. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we we kind of do those shows where we wouldn't stop. So he, if we hadn't done a run of shows, and or we were just sort of coming back in pretty cold and doing, and we hadn't played for a while, it was yeah. I Bucket mean, both show. of us would sort of yeah, we'd both feel it. And go, oh god, I felt <laughs> sick after about the third song. <laughs> or I'd just look over at him, and I could just sense it too. It was like, oh, he's looking pale. And <laughs> oh no. Then you started getting your panic. Vomit <laughs> yeah, panic. Like, oh, man. Yeah, vomit panic. So where hectic. am I? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was so unnecessarily stressful. Isn't it funny how your life stresses change so much? You, like, went from stressing yeah. about cess vomiting to, like, stressing about not being able to deliver a score on, you know, it's, it's a very yeah. different kind of stress. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, there's been many, yeah, many times when I've kind of walked into recording sessions or been halfway through them on in this and and have just felt sick when things aren't going right. And it's, uh, but but uh, but no, that was a that was a odd little period, but um, that we, that we had. 
and and still kind of you know we we get just little remnants of it still I mean I I, I hate to think if we play it again like I think we just had to take it a little easier I yeah think we're a, bit, a bit too gung ho gung ho about the shows and those yeah those take a break between songs have a little sip of water <laughs> you know <laughs> have a little breather. <laughs> That's the way forward. That's what you do when you're yeah. in your like late thirties, early forties. You just have a little break. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. a breather, and also just pay, pace yourself. Pace you know, yourself. Don't go out. Yeah, don't go out firing. Uh, yeah, know. no burgers just Old before. Cylinders. You know. No, 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 no burgers. Learn, just, just learn from your mistakes. <laughs> Jed, thank you so much for talking to me and making time. You know, I really hope that you get through this lockdown okay. And I'm so looking forward to listening and seeing what you do next. It's it's really exciting. And I'm so proud of you for doing all this amazing stuff. Oh, thanks so much. It's been great to chat. 